Welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. All right. Welcome to this week's episode. We're here in Zoom Lantis with Armand Pahadi, founder and CEO of Inside Petroleum. Armand, it's been a couple of weeks since we spoke, actually. How have things been for you, man? Man, Justin, it's been crazy busy. Like, I've never been this busy in my life. So we have 40 to 50 meetings a week. Like, me wow. and my partner, it's just being between me and my partner. And so overall, a lot of meetings that we get in is just through word of mouth, you know, and so it's been super busy. These well, days. okay, so there's two points I wanted to make on that. There's a difference between being busy and being productive. Is by you being busy, is it being productive or do you, are you spinning your wheels? I mean, because you talk to anyone and I've never met anyone that's that you normally you go meet someone or you say, hey, how's it going? Oh, good. I'm busy. Like everyone says they're busy, but are you being productive? For sure. And I, that, that's the whole goal. You know, we, I mean, we always adjust and learn, correct? And, and not doing the same mistakes. So our goal is like these days, just we, we release the product and we meet with a lot of people. Yeah. a lot of companies and so the goal is to showcase the, the platform to as many people as possible correct and try have people using our platform so that's that's the goal and so the more meeting that we have it, it creates more exposure of course and then not all the meetings are leading actually to sales i mean you know how it works but yeah. but overall it's been it's been amazing the results been way beyond our expectation Good. Well, and we can certainly get into that. But for the listeners out there, this is, you know, we were we were supposed to go do this at the Canon. So a big shout out at the Canon, you know, obviously with the current circumstances, we've had to do this over Zoom, but it's kind of nice because I'm looking at Armon here and he's sitting under the Northern Lights. <laughs> so it's, it's created a very nice element to our conversation. And so for everyone out there, you know, I'm sure everyone's been Zooming it up quite a bit lately, but uh, thank goodness for technology. Armand, so I always like to, to go back in time when looking at people's LinkedIn's just to get an, you know, an understanding of, of the person coming on the show. And I couldn't help but notice that you actually went to school in Lafayette, Louisiana for not only your undergrad, but your grad school, right? 100%. Yeah. So it was, it was amazing going to Louisiana, you know. So, I mean, one thing that, that I really, really miss about uh, Lafayette, it was just great people, you know, very yeah. great people, great food. I really miss that, you know. So, like when when you're driving in 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 Houston versus you're driving in Lafayette, it's totally different experience, you know. Like yeah, and like people in Lafayette, they really stop and they let you go, but here's sometimes a lot of times it's the reverse, you know. So, it's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I definitely miss the great people, and I had I was in Louisiana. I went to again in petroleum engineering school, and I worked there for a very small company called Metairie Energy. So. 
my boss actually was his parents were grandparents were French. So you know how the French are like they they know how to cook and this guy he was cooking the best food. I'm serious. Like I yeah. this was the best food I've ever had in my life. Like it just So what kind of food was it like Cajun French style food or was it like the crawfish like the southern soul food or what kind of stuff was it? Cajun Cajun, yeah. yeah, it was amazing. And then he himself was a—he was a big dude. He—he he loved to cook. Yeah. And uh, and uh, he was hunting a lot. And man, like he was cooking ducks and the deers and <laughs> uh, deer, <laughs> deer sausage was my favorite food. Like ah, his, his deer yeah. sausage was like a bribery. <laughs> yeah. Each time that he wanted me, me to do some extra work for him over the weekends, he always was bringing me like a couple of pounds of deer sausage. <laughs> Go crank yeah. it up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it's funny. I can identify with you and I worked rigs. Yeah. You know, I wasn't necessarily the one doing cooking, but there was a lot of guys on the rig that would cook for, you know, different coming men or they would just cook for the rig in, in general. And, and you give a Derek hand or anyone on a rig some food and maybe an energy drink and they'll basically do whatever it is you need them to do with, without any questions. And so, yeah, I, I could see the bribery that, that follows its way into the office as well. But no, deer sausage is great, man. I've got, I work for a bunch of guys who love to hunt and they're always bringing back a bunch of exotic meats. It, it, it's not something that I do, not really because I don't like to. It's just I, I didn't grow up around that. So I didn't, I wasn't really exposed to hunting much. But I mean, I love eating, you know, what the stuff that people bring into the office, you know, especially with, you know, deer sausage and elk and all sorts <laughs> of fun stuff. But yeah, going back to, to Lafayette, you know, interestingly enough, my wife's originally from Lafayette. And so we got married in Lafayette. And so I've spent quite a bit of time there. And then working offshore, I drove through Lafayette and New Iberia and down to Fushan there for a long time. So I spent quite a bit of time in Louisiana. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so it's such a neat culture, man. I love it. A lot of people, especially in oil and gas, come from Louisiana. And so it's it's interesting, I just had to say. So I noticed, like, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people will go to grad school in a different, at a different school than what they went and did their undergrad. So can you speak a little bit? I mean, and it doesn't have to be long, but you must have obviously really liked the university. Was it the University of Lafayette or... Yeah, no. exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I, I really loved it. You know, I, I had great relationship with our professors, you know, and you know, it was mainly the way that school program was, it was mainly for you to get ready to start working. Right? It, some schools, they just waste your time with a lot of theory that you're never going to use in real life and uh, go write this paper, SP paper, this and that, like that, that you're never going to see the real application. But Lafayette, school university of louisiana it was mainly practical you know so study enough and go after start working you know start making money so that's what i loved about school and i even taught oil and gas economics and reservoir engineering at school yeah i I taught that for a couple of semesters and then i was like 27 years old and (laughs) and then actually some of my students were older than me no kidding yeah so when i when i went back to teach it was like one of the professors, she got pregnant, so she couldn't teach. So the head of the school, Dr. Bukhari, asked me to come and take take over the class. So, And then because I had three, four years of experience, I was teaching students stuff that matters, correct? So, yeah. like, And then practical, real examples. So they really loved it. Cause, you that's, know, like, uh, that's really they, cool. Yeah, they really loved it. And they gave me the best feedback and compared to all the other professors, you know, so it was, it was quite interesting. That's a really neat opportunity actually. And like you said, to be able to bring in that real life experience and present it to the students in a way that they can kind of 
kind of maybe feel what the what it's like when the rubber hits the road for lack of better terms so before we get going Armand, i just want to take a quick break here and i want to highlight some fascinating technology provided by our sponsor which is technip fmc frack now is their fully integrated frack system that leverages flexible pipe automation and digital capabilities to deliver operational efficiency compatibility and ease of use with 80 percent fewer connections and 50 percent fewer parts on the frack pad Frack now gets first oil faster and lowers your cost by around 30%, which is absolutely huge. So if you're interested in hearing more, click the link in the show notes. So Armin, before we keep going with, you know, into your career part, let's back up even a little further, man. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Iran for most part, you know, so I came to U.S. when I was like 20-ish. So, you know, it was at the time that the Katrina was happening. So, and then we were seeing a lot of footage in Louisiana, people underwater, you know, for a long time. So my mom was always worried and she was seeing it in TV. She was like, are you sure you want to go there? Are you sure? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> are you sure? Are, you don't know even how to swim. You want to go there? <laughs> and then, man, I was, and then when I was talking to my friends, they were going like, for example, to California, you know, famous states that everybody knows about. Globally, I'm, I'm talking, correct? Yeah. So everybody knows about California, everybody knows about New York, Texas, you know. But Louisiana wasn't, wasn't one of those states, correct? And then a lot of my friends, and they were going to, again, like very famous schools, and, and then in very few of them actually were going to Louisiana. So the mindset wasn't very, the perfect mindset, you know. So, and then when I got off the airplane, and first of all, <laughs> I came to Chicago, and then that's how I landed in the U.S. Yeah. And then, man, the first experience was incredible because I went to bathroom. The bathroom was bigger than my bedroom. Correct. So it was just, I'm serious. Like it was that, ba- that bathroom was massive. It was no like way. all that technology. Was in, the, huh? in the, in the airport you're talking yeah, about? In the airport. No I, I mean, I, it was the nicest bathroom I've ever seen so far. <laughs> I haven't seen any bathroom comparable to that. So it was like, you know, like they had that electronic plastic that covers the seat and uh, it was super cool. So, that was amazing experience. And then the Chicago airport was massive, huge. They had train in the airport, you know. So, so and then I had another flight going to, I believe, Georgia. And then from there to Lafayette, it was a very small airplane. So, and the airplane only had three people on it. It was me and two other passengers and the, the pilot, you know, it, was, it wasn't too many people, you know. So, and then we randomly all of us sat at one side of the airplane, correct? Okay. And then all of a sudden, pilot came in. He was like, "You sit the other side. You sit the other side because we want you're trying to balance the airplane." Yeah. The, the airplane was super small. So anyway, when I landed in Lafayette, and then when I went outside, I was like, "Man, this everything's so green. Everything's so nice. I loved it. You know, I loved I love Lafayette." And then my friend picked me up and he took me to Academy. Oh yeah. And then Academy was badass i love academy i was like wow this is cool it's <laughs> so huge you know like i got so many selfies with academy believe it or not <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love, you know it is so cool to hear how you yeah. like that experience for you is something that like everyone takes for granted like big bathrooms automation academy like it's yeah. it's again it's such a it's such a reminder on how 
fortunate and blessed we are to live in the country that we do. I love that story, man. If if anything else, you made my day with just that. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent, man. Like if you're born in U.S., I mean, by far you're already like at the top ten percent of the world, correct? You really have to appreciate that. You know, you, the, the, everything that you have, the environment, the people. The people are extremely friendly. I. I mean, I, I was in Louisiana. People keep saying Louisiana, I don't know, racist or what. It was the, I never ran into a person that was mean to me. Everyone was super nice. They were inviting me to their homes, cooking food for me. I just hanging out with everybody, going hunting, going shooting. You know, my boss said, yeah, we used to go shooting during the lunchtime. We had a shooting range at the back of our office, and it was super fun for me. <laughs> it was it was a great place. And the reason that I moved to Houston because pretty much all the oil and gas companies moved to Houston. So I, I moved I moved I moved to Houston for that reason because you know there's not that many operators left in Louisiana. No, they're very there's few and far between. So but I guess even like asking further, so why did you do petroleum engineering? I mean, coming from Iran, was it something that you were interested in growing up or did, was it family or like what, what made you decide that? Yeah, so you know, so when I when I was trying to choose between engine, I I always wanted to become an engineer, correct? Because one of my dad's friends, he he was a civil engineer. He had his own company, and he was very rich, correct? And each time he was coming to our house, he was bringing me a lot of nice chocolates and uh, toys and stuff. So I was like, okay, I want to become an engineer, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, but I didn't know what what engineer I wanted to be. So I always was good at math. So and then one time. I was working for my dad, so uh, uh, one of his friends came to his, his place, his, his workshop, and he was saying that, oh, I have this buddy, he's a petroleum engineer, and he's making like $15,000 a month. I was like, wow, this is cool. $15,000 a month, that's crazy. That's, and yeah, then, that's pretty good. And that was enough. <laughs> that yeah. was enough for me to make my decision. I was like, okay, <laughs> decision made. I'm a petroleum engineer. <laughs> yeah, so, so it was yeah. monetarily driven, which, which exactly. is interesting. I think most people growing up, they pick their path depending on how much money it could potentially yield. But would you say that's something, you know, and I ask this because for me personally, that's why I got into the oil field was was to make money which, you know, it's been, the oil field has done very well for me and my family and I couldn't be more thankful, but I value money a lot differently now than I did when I was, you know, in my twenties and even a late teenager. Would would you say that? I mean, I guess the question maybe is looking back at it, is it still something that you have pursued whether it was money or not? I mean, is that what drives you now or is it more happiness and and maybe fulfillment? Like, what do you, can you talk about? I think, I think there's something about oil and gas. It makes it very exciting. Correct. It's like because there's excitement. You want to drill a well, and all of a sudden, how much oil you're gonna make? Correct. You've seen those videos, an oil well gushing oil. Correct. So yeah. this doesn't happen in other industries as much. Correct. So right. there's excitement behind oil and gas. That's why people drill a lot of exploration wells for the hope to to have a badass well. Correct. So there's excitement about it. Right now, just just I one of like my awesome dreams is just having oil well in, in my backyard. Just look at it. Look at that wow. pumping jack, right? Just, yeah. just exciting, you know? Things like that. So <laughs> right now, so honestly, awesome. it's more of a passion, correct? Because when, you, when you're young, I mean, of course, you want to make money. You want to be independent, correct? So a lot of decisions that you make, you hustle, correct? But right now, it's, it's become more of a passion, you know? Like, I mean, um, I've been, we've made enough money, you know, to, and you only eat one or two. Right now, I eat only two meals a day, correct? So I used to eat three meals right now, only eat three meals a day. So 
and then I don't have a, I'm not too much into like having a 10,000 square foot house and like things like that. So, I mean, I have plenty of money to like to, to have a good living, but right now, again, it's more about the passion. And, good for you. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great, great answer. So I noticed you actually worked at Statoil, now known as Equinor, and it's kind of ironic because I actually had a phone call this morning with our corporate sustainability manager in the UK. And it's, there's such an interesting company that are really taking charge on being clean to being a clean, sustainable energy supplier. And that's obviously not the topic today, but, but what was your experience like working for Statoil? Because I've heard a lot of great things about it. Yeah, Statoil is definitely one of the greatest companies to work for. So yeah, great people, great culture. The culture is the most important, more, most important thing for, I think, any company. So very friendly environment. It was a great experience for me, a lot of learnings. And overall, it's been great. It was great. And, and, I, and I know they, they, a lot of European oil companies, they want to diversify, right? They want to they have a little bit renewable, you know, on the side, you know. But again, you know, their main business is oil and gas. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. No, that's cool. So you, you were in Reservoir there. And so talk about the transition. And I, I certainly want to get into, you know, the company that you founded and that you're running. When you were working for a large corporation, did you always have a passion for leaving? Or was it something, was there an itch that you were trying to scratch? And then you figured, okay, there's an opportunity. Can you talk about that? 100%. I always wanted to be, have, a, have a say in a company, correct? Because I always knew I can do stuff better. I can, I, we can improve. We can do stuff smarter, correct? We don't have to just do the, copy the manual work and copy the, what people did. I'm going to continue the same path, correct? I always had that mindset. When I was young, I used to work for my uncles. They had a refrigerator company and they were producing commercial refrigerators. And then I was 15, 16 years old working for them just, and then I was every day giving them ideas. I'm like, why not making it this way? This sounds to be faster. Like, let's do it this, it's easier. But one of my uncle, he was traditional. He was like, no, every, if, if it was like that, everybody else would have done it before, correct? And but my other uncle, he was like, oh, let's try it. So, <laughs> but, and when you work for a small company, again, you have a lot of say in the company, correct? Yeah. So you can, you can affect the company's destiny, to be quite honest, correct? Yeah. But when I start working for a statue, all of a sudden you, you're a very small piece of the pie, big pie, correct? Yeah. And it doesn't matter how much you want to try, correct? At the end, there's policies and the politics and stuff like that, that you can do so much, correct? And then I saw that we can do a lot of stuff much more efficient and deliver much more, correct? And save a lot of money. So I saw a lot of inefficiencies and not just that, this is across all the EMPs pretty much, any, any energy companies, correct? 99% of them, overall the process is kind of the same you know overall is the same so yeah i saw a lot of disconnect in the day-to-day work that i was doing correct so it was literally was my pain i wanted to solve pain within our own company correct and then i left a statue in 2017 and my goal was to come up with a solution that everybody love it and enjoy it and just making our life much easier and more fun. You know, yeah. I didn't like the fact that we're using very, very outdated technologies like from 1980 or before that. So I never believed that we're using technology because if you use technology in the past 10 years, everything has changed, correct? So you cannot use this one from four years ago. Yeah, no. So then let's talk about it then. So inside petroleum, you decide, you know, you take a leap of faith, start your own gig. 
talk about the transition, you know, how was it starting out, you know, that's an energy tech company at a time where a lot of people are trying to enter the space, you know? And so, I mean, the question is, it's like, how did you do it? And, you know, where's the value add for people that, you know, potentially could use something like this? 100%. So I left Statoil March 2017. And then for a period of time, I was searching for angel investors to help me to build a platform that is integrated, that you can run your entire asset in that platform, correct? I wanted to be modern. I wanted to use the power of cloud, correct? And I wanted to be collaborative. So everybody together work and connected. So for example, currently questions like, if I change one of my type curve, or if I change my villa spacing, if I change my lateral length, how does it going to affect my portfolio? How is it going to affect my PDP cash flow? How is it going to affect my future location? These are questions that, believe it or not, it would take months to answer, correct? Oh, I bet, Even though yeah. it's because the process is very complicated. You, you're dealing with three or four solutions that they don't talk to each other, and the format never match. Like, for example, building your type curve, in software X, you have to manually bring it into areas of PhD win, and uh, these numbers never match because they have different formulas and different maths behind it. And then imagine you're creating 100 type curves and you're maintaining 100 type curves. Those engineers who make type curves in another software, if they go and change one parameter, it can materially affect the, the economics of your entire portfolio, correct? Yeah. There is a huge disconnect because these are done in two separate software, correct? So... And then, and the software that we were using, again, we were outdated. So there were some fundamental issues there. So again, we, we wanted it to build something that puts everything together so you don't have to jump around between one solution to another. And it make it so easy that everybody can use, correct? Not very, very few people, correct? Yeah. Right now, the softwares that people use to manage their assets, run economics, to build type curves is very outdated. It's like, 2% of the people know how to use it properly and 50-60% of the people in the company need the numbers from that software. So anyway, I raised Angel Investment from friends and then start building a prototype. I personally learned programming and build a prototype of the platform and then I met with Jeremy. Jeremy was head of finance at Deep Golf Energy. So when I told him about the idea, he really loved it. Me and him, we teamed up. A week later, like when I showed him to, to him, he quit his job and me and him, we teamed up. And then we went through fundraising because we knew what we are we're trying to build is very complicated and it's a big, big platform. So we needed funding. So we start reaching out to a lot of investors. Unfortunately, majority of the investors in the oil and gas, they haven't been engineers. They haven't done the work themselves. Course. So they don't get you. When, when you tell them this is a pain, across all the oil and gas companies, they don't get it, correct? So yeah. when I presented that we're trying to put four software in one package, they said, this is impossible. This is not going to happen. And then Aries been around for 40 years and nobody, nobody, no, nobody can replace Aries, correct? So a lot of them naysayer, correct? So, yeah. And then eventually we got the luxury of meeting with, with Danny Rice. So Danny... Oh, yeah. Yeah, Danny, very, very cool and sharp guy. He, he was a founder and CEO of Rice Energy. And so they themselves were entrepreneurs, like, and all about technology, correct? So they never followed the status quo. And they never said, because other people did it that way, we're going to follow the same method, correct? So they were all about using technologies and they were bold guys, like they weren't scared of doing big projects. 
So when we told him about this project, he really loved it. He himself was a heavy user of the PHEVIN and the Value Navigator and Aries. He, he understood what we were talking about because, again, we attacked the core of the problem. Because everything, we are in this business to make money, correct? We want to know what the cash flows are. Of so course. if if you don't have a tool that everybody can use and figure out the cash flows and the numbers and economics, then there's a fundamental problem, correct? Because even let's say if you want to do a workover, a simple workover, you have to do economics to justify spending three hundred thousand dollars on changing your pumping unit. Every dollar that we are spending in this business. The, like it goes way north of a 50 or 100,000, right? There are big dollars we are spending, right? We, we spend billions of dollars, millions of dollars. So it's very important to make economically good decisions, right? Yeah. So, so that was the goal. So, and then we, we got the funding from the Rice brothers and then and we start building the company. Currently, we are a team of 20 people and okay. we are expanding. We spent three years building the product. All of our team members have equity in the company. They've worked, wow. they've worked 70, 80 hours a week. So it's, and we hired superstars and we've worked hard and smart. Mm-hmm. So we released the product three months ago and it's been amazing. Like the traction has been way beyond our expectation. So, yeah, so we have close to 60 companies actually using the product. Holy so, smokes, Armin. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's been amazing in the course of a three months. And all of it's been through word of mouth. Correct. Yeah. So, oh, because yeah. we give we give high class quality customer service, correct? So we knew we know that we constantly need to add features and capabilities to the app, and then we take the customer's feedback and, and we we try to apply it the same day. Pretty much, yeah. Right? yeah. So we have features that's been released. A customer asks a feature at the beginning of the meeting. By the end of the meeting, we deliver the feature. You know, like it's just things like that that basically nobody can come close to us in that sense in terms of the organization and everybody having skin in the game and everybody is, is going, going toward one goal. Man, I love how you structured it and, and really allowing people to yield what they put in. You know, you're going to, it's, and, and it's a common, you know, saying you, you get out what you put in and it's even more in a case like that where, you know, there's, there's certainly some, some really high incentives to perform at the, the highest level possible which is outstanding. And so one of the questions I had, I mean, you touched on it, you mentioned that you exceeded all expectations and now you're at, you know, what was it? You said 60 or 50 companies already utilizing the platform. So my first question is, did you expect, well, it sounds like you didn't expect it, but then how do you scale up that kind of volume while maintaining a level of service and really just having the capacity to put out work if you're scaling up at such a high rate. Like, how did you manage that? Yeah. So again, the important thing is you don't go to market until your product is fully ready, correct? So that's one of the biggest mistakes a lot of companies make. They just, they release the product premature. So we spent three years building a product that is at least 80, 90% there, correct? Mm-hmm. So, so, and then what you have you have to be, stay on top of your game. You know, like you have to, like me and my partner, Jeremy, like we work nonstop, correct? So if you, yeah. send, if you send me a message on Saturday morning or Sunday night, I have to answer, correct? So, and then I have, again, all of our developers, they have equity in the company. I'm like, dude, you, get in, you have equity in the company, we have to service our client, correct? This is all we have, correct? So it's just by working very hard and stay on top of your game. Yeah. And then we have a, a very proactive system for finding errors and bugs. 
we find the error sooner than the client, correct? Wow. So the moment they, they make a mistake, we are the first people who realize it, and then we immediately attack it, correct? We immediately create tasks for it and get after it. So that, that makes the platform less and less buggy, correct? Yeah. So it's yeah. going to be, become more and more perfect. And then after a certain point, these requests are becoming less and less because you keep adding documentation to your help page and then you keep you keep people learning about your product and once you teach one of the people in the company very well they're going to teach to their other buddies in the company so they're going to reach out to that guy and then at the end you're going to make your platform super easy easier and easier correct you're going to make it more straightforward that it doesn't require training right now we onboard major companies in the course of two hours correct so this is not doable with any other platform out there, correct? So, so to me, I mean, obviously, you've you've approached the oil and gas market, and and I'm sure it's a huge pie that is going to keep you busy for for the long run. But have you? What does the future look like? And are you interested in going outside of oil and gas? Because I would imagine there's similar challenges in many other industries. I mean, what's the potential here on a large scale for you guys? So definitely, you know. If you think about it, we are a fintech company. We do projection and we do financials, correct? So uh, we do economics. So that's that's the core of any business. Right. So any any, any company. It doesn't matter if you're in real estate market or if you're in the anything, any supply su- supplying any product, correct? You you have to do projection and then you have to do economics on your projection to figure where am I going to be in one year, two years, twenty years, fifty years, correct? Yeah. So this concept can be applied to other industry, but the key is the expertise, correct? The, you know, the problem is the devil is in the detail, correct? Yeah. So high level, you're 100%, right? High level, this can be applied to a lot of other industry, but actually implementing it in that industry, it requires a lot of deep knowledge about that industry, very, very deep knowledge and research. So for us, we know the oil and gas market is massive enough, correct? So, so it's plenty for us to stay in the oil and gas for for foreseeable future, but who knows? In like two years from now, we might go into other industries as well. So, but so far, for foreseeable future, we're going to be just just focusing the energy industry. Okay. So now that you've gained traction and, and you've built a solid foundation, for you, what does your vision look like? And maybe the one that you share with the people that work with you, and not necessarily stuff like you know we need to service the client, and, and you know we need to do the best job we can. But I mean. In 10 years from now, I mean, what does that look like? Do you have any sort of vision into the future or are you just really focused on the now? 10 years, honestly, I don't know what's going to happen in 10 years. You know, so yeah. I, we, we, we don't, whatever I tell you is completely wrong. You know, when I went to, <laughs> so when we started this company, we were thinking, okay, if somebody come and offer us, I'm not going to tell you the number, X yeah. number of dollars, we're going to sell it, correct? Yeah, yeah. Right now, we are significantly beyond that. Right, sure. so we're significantly above those numbers. So I guarantee you, if if you have this podcast end of the year, I'm going to tell you completely different numbers because <laughs> yeah. because things are changing significantly. But again, as a founder, as a, as an entrepreneur, you always want to build track record, correct? And track record normally comes with a with a successful normally exit, correct? Very successful exit because. At that point, you establish a track, correct? And one thing about the overall tech industry is there's always, eventually, it's going to be a company that is going to come and above you, correct? Come and compete with you, correct? So it's always wise 
not to be too greedy, correct? So you've seen the things happen to Yahoo, eBay, you know, like Yahoo used to be one of the largest companies, you know, like, but right now see what happened, correct? So yeah, yeah it's always important to book profit and build that track record because again, you can, there's always the next company, correct? Yeah. So if all of a sudden say someone like Amazon or Google, which I don't think Google's focused on oil and gas like they were maybe before, but for one of these major tech companies to come and partner up with you, I mean, is that something that you would entertain or are you more focused on building it and then eventually selling it? Or are you still kind of unsure? We already partner with major cloud providers, correct? So that has already been done, correct? But the thing is cloud providers, they can do so much for you. At the end, it's all depend on you and your team, correct? So at the end, it doesn't matter if you get partnership with company XYZ, correct? It would facilitate slightly, but at the end, it's all on you. Yeah. It's on you and your team member. Like, you know that saying, nobody's going to scratch your back unless you scratch it yourself, correct? So, yeah. And I know you've seen that in Louisiana, they have that alligator hand. I like that one. <laughs> yeah, it's like, look like a claw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Each time that I see that, I'm like, okay, I need to scratch my back, you know? So yeah. that's... I definitely believe in that, correct? So if you want things happen, you yourself have to get after it yourself. You have to work hard. You Like nothing is easy. One thing that I would tell to everybody, if you want to start your company, you have to get ready. You have to get ready to work hard because like, it's not going to be easy. Whatever you estimate, multiply by a factor of five or ten because you are wrong by that factor, correct? If you... If you're assuming you're going to get this project done by X number of days, and if you haven't done it before, you're definitely underestimating. That's, <laughs> that's how it is, correct? Because yeah. real life is always much more complicated than what you put on the paper. Yeah. No, I, I mean, <laughs> we see that in oil and gas all the time. You know, I'm on the drilling side and it's like, okay, we're going to spud on Monday and then it's the following Thursday and they're still trying to figure out how to get the rig on location. You know, so it's like, <laughs> I get that. Absolutely. So for you, what do you like most about your job right now and what you're doing? Yeah. So what I love is again, being able to, first of all, helping the industry, right? Helping people. That's, that's my passion. Correct? I, w- I wanted people to use our product and enjoy it. That is our top goal, correct? And that is the top goal for all of our developers, correct? At the end, you 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 feel, I mean, money, of course, is one of the motivation, but money t- it takes you so far, correct? Like to the point that you mentioned. At, at a certain point, you, you care about more people and making the life easier. And they're like, yeah, I remember Armand and Jeremy and, and, and their team, like they came up with this solution. Right now we do our stuff like five, 10 times faster. And this is what we want for most part, correct? So we love people use it and enjoy it. And then they say good stuff about us, correct? So this is what motivates me. And at the end, making your team successful, correct? Because you you as a founder making a lot of promises to your team members and you constantly motivate them. You constantly push them hard. You constantly ask them to deliver work on the weekend, things like that. So at the end, you want these things to become reality, correct? All, all the promises. And when mm. those happens, the joy in that happening, like making your team members happy and seeing the joy in their face, yeah. that is the most valuable thing for me. You know, wow. like, yeah, so that's what I love, you know. Again, there's, there's so many cars and houses you can buy, correct? Like I'm, I'm not 
too too much of a materialistic person. But again, there's so much you can do. Correct? I, I don't care about living a 2,000 square foot house or a 10,000 square foot house. Correct? To me, I prefer that 2,000 square foot. Yeah, no, that I love that message. And that speaks volumes for, I'm sure that the culture that you have within the organization and you know the type of leadership that that you're reflecting right now is a true testament to success and i think that's a lot of the reason why you've done so well you know just sitting here listening to you you know like i'm sure the audience and everyone out there would say man i would love to work for someone like that and so i applaud you for having that set, that that type of mindset cuz i think it's just going to flourish into continued success for you and everyone that that you're doing business with your clients, the people that work with you. That's amazing, man. A couple other questions before we close out and I want to respect your time. So you're busy. Like you said, if it's Saturday night, Sunday night, probably Christmas morning, it doesn't matter. The priority is, is you're in your, in your business for the most part, of course. Do you have any daily habits or routines that contribute to your to your focus and mindset and not, not necessarily like, Oh, you know, you know, I, I check my email, you know, or whatever, but like more from like, a working in perspective. And, and by that, I mean, like, how do you disconnect? Do you meditate? Do you drink certain coffees? Or do you go for walks? Or what, I mean, what does that look like outside of the, just the constant grind? Yeah, just go running, correct? So I, okay. I love yeah, that detach me. So for like for a period of time, I used to get crazy headaches. And I didn't know the reason. And I used to take headache pills and stuff, and it wasn't doing anything. I, I thought maybe I slept less. I, I was sleeping, the headache wasn't going away. And then I figured running, it helps. Like if I go running, it just hmm. helps me detach and just. Good for you. Yeah, running has been great. And then just go work out. Like, you know, again, there's a balance here, correct? If you just sit here behind your computers and constantly work, 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 work is not healthy. You have to have a very. And look, the balance again is important. You know, go running, go work out, play tennis, play soccer, play badminton. I do all of them, right? And you. then one thing that I hate to do, wasting my time, right? I, that's, I, I cannot do that. So the moment I figure I'm not doing something productive, I have to do something. Like, it just <laughs> really bothers me. And then one other thing is I try to always eat less. I don't eat too much food, correct? I eat maybe once or twice a day, correct? Yes. And then I try to keep it as healthy as possible, correct? Good for so, you. Yeah, and then drink a lot of water. That's that's what I do. I drink a ton of water. And yeah. I love espressos. I love espressos, you know? Oh, man. When all this is said and done, man, we'll have to meet for a coffee. At, I'll treat you to whatever your favorite coffee <laughs> spot is here in Houston, man. I love coffee and espresso, I'm, so I'm with you on that one. But no, you're you're absolutely right. It's It's having the balance. It's finding a way to disconnect. And it's maximizing your performance as a human. Because like you said, if you're sitting in front of your computer, you're, you're drinking nothing but coffee and, and you know, whatever, Mountain Dew all day, and then you're, you're, you're just picking up fast food and, and eating that. It's like if you have a Ferrari, you cannot feed it you know, bad fuel. And, and we are human Ferraris. And whatever you put in, ultimately, you know, from a, you know, if, if you want to get into biology, there, there's you're fueling yourself off of whatever you put into your body. And so if you want to be a top level performer, whether it's in sports, whether it's in work, whether whatever, every little thing counts. And so I can identify with you. I, I, I really, I eat to perform. I don't eat just because I want to now granted there's times where I'll eat cake and do things for, you know, socializing <laughs> events, but I'm like you, I, I actually fast till about 1130, 12, 
I'll eat a small lunch and then I'll finish my day off with a dinner, make sure I don't eat about two to three hours before bed. So I'm very regimented in that way as well. And I've found that cognitively I can perform at such a higher level that way, especially sitting down for most of the day, just because that's just the nature of our business. But I think a lot, I think there's certainly a lot of value in making sure that you touch on all those pillars to be the best version of yourself that you can be. 100%. You have to be, in my opinion, you have to be best at a lot of stuff, correct? You cannot yeah. just say, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just very good at oil and gas, correct? So that doesn't work. You have to be taking care of your body. I have my gym. I have a small, very small gym behind me, correct? You can't okay. see it right now. But the first thing that I wake up, I drink a big glass of water and then yeah. I go ahead and do some some basic workout push-ups and stuff and then during the day I do the same thing too like I, I take like five minute break and do some workout not crazy workout and then in the afternoons every other day we go running playing soccer tennis things like that just just keep the body moving you know at That's the end good. you have to take care of your body other than that your brain is gonna stop working you know yeah oh a hundred percent no I, I can appreciate that man for sure well, look, before we log off, I just want to take a moment to tell everyone about some upcoming events. This is Savannah, and here are the events on deck for September 2020. There's the FPSO World Congress 2020, and that's on September 1st to the 4th, and also the 8th, and it's all online. The next one is Building the Future Industrial Summit on September the 16th, and that's also online. There's also the 4th Annual Blockchain and Oil and Gas Conference 2020, and that's on September the 16th to the 18th. Then there's the N-Genius Symposium and Exhibition for Upstream Innovation 2020, and that's September the 22nd to the 24th. And there's also Effective Leadership Through Change and Uncertainty featuring Condoleezza Rice, and that's on September the 24th. There's also NAPE Summer 2020 from August 11th to September the 14th, and lastly, there's BP Week 2020, September 14th to 16th. That's all for September. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. All right. Thank you so much. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Ring. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. We're not doing it right now due to COVID, but once we get it started again, you'll be seeing it all over LinkedIn. Armand, thank you so much for visiting with me today. I just really genuinely enjoyed our conversation and hopefully the listeners did too. Is there anything that you would like to mention? I know you actually mentioned you were on a couple other podcasts as well. Do you want to share which ones those were? Yeah, I saw Digital Wildcatter, of course, and then Oil and Gas in Council. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Let me Yeah, that's it. it. Yeah, 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 that's it. Yeah. Yeah, with Tim Powell. So yeah, Perfect. and those two podcasts, and it, it was amazing. Both of them are amazing people. Yeah, a Digital Wildcat, of course, very, very supportive of them. And, and of course, a big supporter of you and uh, Tim Powell. Great. Well, yeah, we see, certainly appreciate the support and we'll make sure and put your LinkedIn profile link in the show notes along with the website. And is there anything else or, or is there any other way that people can get to know more about you or the company other than the, those two things? Yeah, that's the website and LinkedIn. And I'm always available on LinkedIn. So they can message me anytime on LinkedIn. I, I, I would answer very quickly. Okay. And of course, our website. Yeah. Awesome. Armin, well, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. I wish you nothing but success. And I can't wait to meet you in person, man. Same thing here. Yeah, Justin, again, thank you so much for your time. And again, you guys doing so much stuff for the industry. Like, I mean, we need we need more people like you guys just 
giving hope to people, talking to people, delivering, spreading good news and good messages. You know, mm -hmm. we need these things these days. You know, so we we have to stay positive and helpful and keep going. You know, that's absolutely right. We need to yeah. stick together as an industry and continue to spread awareness and just spread the good word. So with that being said, everyone, always remember when the density is up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.